We're beginning a new series, Target Practice. Target Practice. During the month of August, what I feel like the Spirit is leading me to do is to remind you of who we are, what we are called to do, and how we are called to do it. As a church, we need to be reminded annually as to who we are, what we're called to do. We are, first and foremost, a house of grace. Our mission is for everyone to experience his grace. Also, for us to equip God's children. And finally, to expand God's kingdom. When we begin to grasp the understanding of kingdom, we will see hate crimes reduced. We will see all the political infighting reduced. We will love our neighbor as ourselves, and we will see revival like never before when we start to understand that we are a part of another kingdom, that the local church is its embassy, that we are ambassadors, and we don't submit to any form of government other than God's. And our bylaws are the Holy Scriptures. And those are what we're to live by. And those are what we're to use to combat the enemy. And so I want to remind you of who we are. I heard a story about Satan entering into a country church. Lucifer himself, he entered into this country church. And man, it scared all the parishioners to death. They, they were fleeing this church in agony and screaming and they were scared and he looked just like the Bible said he would look. Very scary. Everyone left but one older gentleman about 72 years old. He just stayed in his pew. And Satan said, aren't you scared? He said, no, sure not. He said, don't you know who I am? He said, yep, I know who you are. Why aren't you scared of me? Don't you know I can cause you agony? I can even ensure that your life ends in death. Do you know that? Yep. Satan got, got frustrated with this older gentleman and said, why aren't you scared of me? He said, I've been married to your sister 48 years. <laughs> I hope that's not your testimony this morning. We certainly aren't going to let Satan in the building this morning, but if it is, just know I'm praying for you. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Forsake Not. I want to talk to you about the importance of church. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but encouraging one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day there means the soon coming return of Jesus Christ for his church, the authentic church, his children. The church of Jesus Christ is important. I can remember as a child, I practically lived on this campus. I would get up as a young child and my father would always clean me up and I would come in with him and I would watch him labor through three sermons and then later a deacon's meeting, I could never play ball on Sundays. I was the kid on the all-star team that the parents got frustrated with because I could never go to anything on Sundays. And I would, was living here all the time. There's pictures of me at people's weddings and all kinds of stuff from when I was little. I lived here and I hated it at the time. I'm thankful for it now, but I hated it at the time. I told my mother one day I was out playing kickball Sunday and she called for me to come to church. 
I said, Mom, I'd just rather go to hell than go to church, you know. And I mean, I, I hated church, and I, and I understand that many people have, have had bad experiences in church. They've been judged. They've, they, they've had it forced down their throat, man, that they've seen hypocrisy in the church, and they're, they're upset at the church, and that has caused them to feel rejected and turn from God's institution, his body. In Ephesians, it says we are a body. It says we are a bride. We are in covenant with God. We are also a building. So don't let anyone tell you, oh, it's not all about the building. Oh, they've been building temples and Jesus is coming back to reign from one and cathedrals for years, man. Don't judge someone that had the faith to build something because you didn't. I'm telling you, God loves his church in spite of its faults. I know many times the church has sent the wrong message. While I was on sabbatical, some of you may judge me for, that, for this, but go ahead. Uh, I, I was bored one evening and I, I decided to hunt through documentaries. Kelly hates watching documentaries. I love documentaries, nerdy stuff. Uh, pop culture stuff. I just love to see the behind the scenes of people's lives. I love to see their struggles. And, and I got interested in one about Kurt Cobain. And some of you may not know who Kurt Cobain was, but he was the lead singer of a band called Nirvana. And I can remember this brought this memory to me, uh, this troubling memory into my spirit. Because, see, I had two older sisters that were kind of, you know, they were the 80s, you know, like Guns N' Roses and rock and all that. So I was five years old, man. I could sing Paradise City. I mean, my sisters uh, taught me that culture. So I know all that grunge and rock culture. And so I grew up listening to, to that music. And, and I was 11 years old, and I was with my parents. We were in... Uh, Louisiana, where my dad went to seminary, he was preaching to church, and I guess I was getting on my parents' nerves, which I had the tendency to do, and they were just ready to get rid of me, so they pawned me off on about six uh, students from the youth group of the church my dad was preaching in, the Baptist church there in, in Louisiana, and I spent all day with this, this youth group, and, and it came across the radio that Kurt Cobain had killed himself. He blew his head off. Millions of albums everything in the world, addicted to heroin, all of this. And this documentary goes back to his childhood and talks about when his parents got a divorce when he was eight, he was rejected time and time and time again. He lived with his father and his father's new wife didn't want him and this one didn't want him. And he had been rejected so many times before he was 18 years old that he developed a heroin habit that carried him until his suicide. Terrible, tragic story. But I can remember being there in Louisiana and it just brought this weird memory back to my, to my spirit. And I can remember being with those high school students. I was just 11, 12 years old. And it came across the radio. And they all started joking about how hot he was. Oh, I bet he's hot now. And, and I just want to be honest with you this morning. There were preachers I heard growing up that almost seemed like they were excited about people going to hell. They almost preached on hell like they wanted people to go there. And as a child, it used to bother me. I used to think, man, like, this isn't Jesus. Jesus isn't happy people go to hell. And it troubled my spirit, so I tell you that to say, I know the church has made mistakes. There are pastors now, and some of you watch them because of their political leanings, and I'm telling you, they're full of the devil. Even if they are conservative, some of them are full of the devil and they need Jesus. And you follow them and I'm telling you, they're not right. They're angry. 
They hate God's people. And we need to repent. We need to stop turning people away from the church. We need to welcome people in, allow them to grow in their gifting, tell them who they can be. You want everything to change. You want abortion to go away. You want this to go away. You know how you do it? Not by passing laws, by changing hearts. We got to start changing hearts, my friend. If you want to see this thing change, you got to change minds and you got to change hearts. You can pass another law. You can send something else to Congress. That place is so screwed up. It's not going to change anything. What changes things is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. Some people go to church seasonally. That is the culture we're living in. I'm not beating you up about it. I'm thankful you're connected. I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful you can watch online. I'm thankful that our online campus is booming. But I can tell you this, and Kelly will verify, after about a week and a half of my sabbatical, I am miserable, missing this place. And it's not only accountability that I miss, it's, it's the fellowship, it's the spirit there's a life-giving spirit in a kingdom church. And if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're separated from it too long and you don't feel the pullback, there's something either wrong with you or wrong with the church. You ought to miss it when you're not here. You ought to love it when you're not here. You ought to want to serve it when you are here. Some people go to church seasonally. Some people use the church selfishly selfishly I'll say this and I'll make this public every day I get to serve this church is a gift from God a pleasure and honor and I will say that if I go to heaven tomorrow or if I move on tomorrow every opportunity I get to serve you is an honor and privilege it's the honor of my life I may not always get it right but it is still my highest honor some people serve the church faithfully like many of you some people truly care about its future. Some people truly want to see it in revival. Some people truly get on their knees and pray for the church on a weekly basis. Some people don't see it as a corporation. They see it as a body. Some people really want to do something to help other than give us the report of all that's wrong. Don't bring us problems with no solutions. How can you serve to make it better? Anybody can point out a problem, grab a mop or a towel like Jesus and help us solve the issues. But I'm in a season right now where I'm seeing more good than bad. I'm seeing this church come alive. I'm seeing people saved every week. I get the reports weekly, even when I'm gone, of people getting saved, people getting touched. A young person from Tunnel Hill, Georgia, Bishop Ronnie Powell, said, I watch you on WDEF and Fox, man. I need a financial miracle for my church in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. Will you pray for me? I said, absolutely. God is using us not only locally, but abroad, and I'm thankful. But the Hebrew writer of this text was attempting to pour new wine into a new wineskin. Just like many of us in the kingdom are trying to do right now in church, we're trying to bring about a new and a living way not forsaking the old, not dishonoring the old. If you look at the book of Hebrews, they talk about that hall of fame of those who walked in faith, Enoch and Moses. They honored the past. They talked about how the past connects to the future. They talked about the tabernacle and animal sacrifices. But 
The text says that all of those wonderful exploits of the old covenant were just a shadow. A shadow of what is to come. What is a shadow? It is an outline. It gives you good and helpful information, but it leaves more for you to explore. A shadow of the things to come. We should honor everything that God has done. And I, I have tried to model that for you in honoring my heroes, such as Bishop Bronner and my father and different men of God that have made an impact on my life and women of God. I try to honor them, try to honor you, those of you that have been faithful here. But I'm telling you, God has a new place for us to go. The theme of this wonderful letter, I believe it was written by the Apostle Paul, but I'll say the Hebrew writer because it is debatable. But it is that Jesus is our great high priest, that he was the perfect sacrifice, that it was a once and for all atonement for our sins. So we don't have to earn it every day. He paid for it. Religion has ended according to this text. Jesus finished the race. He is on the throne and grace is available. He talks about a faith that connects. It connects the old with the new and the new wine can flow. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, everybody say confidence. That word in the Greek means certainty, security, and safety. Listen, I didn't get saved to live a life of guilt in a house of guilt. I got saved to experience his grace in a house of grace. This ain't never gonna be a house of guilt, this is a house of grace. There's plenty of houses of guilt you can attend. But there's only one house of grace in this region. You're sitting in it. And I'm thankful for it. We aren't called to walk with our head down, miserable, mad at everybody, jealous of everybody. We're called to experience his grace. And guess what, man? And give a dose of it to somebody else because Lord knows right now we all need it. We all need it. Certainty, security, and safety to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By new and living way. Everybody say a new and living way. Open for us through the curtain. That is his body. The veil at the temple when Jesus was crucified was torn from the top to the bottom. Man couldn't reach it. God had to do it. He didn't tear a small hole in it so just the perfect could get through it. That joker ripped from the top to the bottom so sinners, red, yellow, black, and white, poor, those who have generational curses and blessing can all come there through the blood of Jesus if they'll accept his grace. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Abba's house, this is for us in this season. This is the new and living way. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Some people say, what if I get baptized twice? I don't care if you have to do it 20,000 times. I've done it quite a few myself. And every time I go to the Holy Land, I do it again. I enjoy it. It gets dusty on life's roads. And every now and then you need to stir the waters, man. Not because you have to to go to heaven, because you want to to reconnect with Jesus. 
from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, here we go. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Good deeds. Service. Loving one another is not an emotion in the Greek. You got to do something. Hit somebody and say, I got to do something. Or air five somebody. We went from blessed and highly favored to blessed and highly vaccinated. Praise God. Whatever you got to do, do it. Spurring one another on towards good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Here we go. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Let me make this plain. Not giving up on your church. Not quitting on your church. Not stop going to church because it's not perfect. Listen, if you're waiting for any church to be perfect, you're going to be waiting till the day of the Lord is here. None of them are. None of them ever will be. But the Spirit can make things perfect through us when we're in revival and we're crying out to Him. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So number one, a new confidence to consider. It says, since we have the confidence, the security and the safety to enter into the most holy place. So Christian people are to be confident people. Christian people, not arrogant, confident. Confident in the blood of Jesus Christ. Confident in the miracle working power of the Holy Spirit. Confident in the word of God. Confident in the fact that according to Revelation 4, we win. Amen? You know, I'm, I'm preaching through Revelation in January on Wednesday night. We're going to do it in here. It's going to be like 19 weeks, and I'm doing a, a little introduction to that through the seven churches this fall on a Wednesday night. I hope you'll come to some of that. We're going to be talking about the end times. Everybody's curious about it now. I've been working on this for quite some time. I'm excited about it. But it's interesting. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about seven churches. I mean, here we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ, and, and you've got these church-specific examples in the book of prophecy. And people won't tell me church doesn't matter anymore. Let me tell you something, church matters. Jesus gave us confidence when he took the keys from the enemy. When he died on that cross, we received confidence in Jesus Christ. This is what Hebrews 10 verse 12 says. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those of us who are being sanctified. Charles Spurgeon translated verse 11 and 12 like this. He put the comma in a different place. It's really cool. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever he sat down at the right hand of God. It's finished. Why we keep trying to pay for what's already been paid for? Why we keep trying to sacrifice when we've already had the perfect sacrifice? Jesus has already done it. He's waiting on us to expand his kingdom. 
have confidence in the covenant God made with us as his church. The Christian life, my friend, is about perseverance, not perfection. One of the many reasons we have stayed a Baptist church is because of a few theological doctrines. We don't agree with everything, but we agree with most of it. We firmly believe in the autonomy of the church, which means this. It means some bishop in some other state's not gonna tell us how to govern this church. We govern it under the direction of God. Next, the perseverance of the saints. We don't believe you can do whatever you want and go to heaven, but what we do believe is if you stay in the fight, you stay in the race, you don't give up on the faith, then you will persevere to the end. The Christian life is not about perfection, it's about perseverance. So maybe, you know, I ever wondered if the prodigal son ever walked by a pig pen again? I'm weird, I think about stuff like that. You know, the story of the prodigal son, he takes all his father's money, leaves wild, loses everything, ends up in the pig pen, comes to himself, comes home, you know, the ring, the shoes, all that, I preached it to you. But I wondered, wonder if he ever walked by a pig pen. Wonder if he ever went back in one. Wonder if he ever smelled that smell again. You see, the good thing about the kingdom of God is, if you ever go back to a pig pen, <laughs> if you ever smell it again, and you recognize what it is, that means Jesus still lives on the inside of you. If you ever get in a mess you shouldn't be in, at least you know it's a mess, and if you know it's a mess, that means your Savior still reigns on the inside of you. Where you get into trouble is if you don't recognize the smell of the pig pen, if you don't recognize a bad situation, if you realize that Jesus has more for you than he still reigns as the leader of your heart. A new confidence to consider. This confidence is the grace of Jesus Christ. It is the message God has called us to deliver in this hour. Number two, this new way of life is not just a new confidence to consider, it is a new way of worship. This talks about intimacy. Listen, we don't have to bring our animals in here and slaughter them anymore and shed their blood on the altar. Jesus did that for us. Now we can, by a new and living way, come through the curtain and have intimacy with God the Father through Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. We can draw near to him. We can have our guilty conscience cleansed because of the Holy Spirit. The law, as I said, the old covenant law was just a shadow of good things that are coming. A shadow will not give you all the information you need. Jesus finished it. This is what it says. We can have boldness in the faith through his blood, amen? We can have faith, not fear. Listen, I, I, I understand better than most of you the agony of this pandemic. I have buried friends, okay? I have cried with families. I respect the virus, I do. I respect the virus, but here's what I will say. I do not respect it more than Jesus Christ. I will not worship it, and I will not shriek back in fear because of it. I will not judge you for your decisions. Don't judge me for mine. I'm operating in faith. Because see, this life's not the end for me. There's like so-and-so died this week. Bobby Bowden's on the verge of death. My hero, almost 92. He's not a bit scared. I'm scared because this world 
will not be the same without him. Men like him that have lived clean and that have done it right, we need more of them. I'm not sad because he's dying, because I know he's got crowns. I'm sad because this world needs more Bobby Bowdens. They need more Bishop Bill Bronners. They need more Dr. Ron Phillips. They need more men and women of God who've stood the test of time and who've stayed the faith. My generation needs that. And I'm telling you this, if you think Bobby Bowden is sitting there worried, you don't know him. He's not. He says, I'm at peace. It's kind of like Paul said, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my race. Don't you want to be able to say that when it's your time? I do. I want to be able to say, listen, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my race. I may have finished it bloody, but I finished it. I may have finished it dusty. I may have took a few wrong turns. Somebody can amen that. But I finished it, amen? I finished it. Ah, there's not just a new way of worship. There's a new hope to hold on to. We need hope. Pastor Ron did a wonderful job bringing prophetic hope to this house. I'm talking about that blessed hope. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about an outpouring of his spirit that's not about hype, it's about holiness. I'm talking about a move that changes things. I'm talking about purpose in the here and right now. And I'm talking about the soon coming king, Jesus Christ. Psalms 84 says, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. See, when people come in this house, they need something living. They need a blessed hope and a living hope, not a house of religion. They need a house of grace. And we'll never be that until everybody embraces that vision. Let us hold unswervingly, in the Greek means without wavering, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Romans 13 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You're the most like Jesus when you can love someone that hates you and you can serve someone that can't do anything for you. Let me say that again for those in the back. You're most like Jesus when you can love someone that hates you and serve someone that can give you nothing in return. I wish I could say I've gotten there yet completely, but I haven't. I'm much better than I used to be. Loving someone that doesn't love you back, serving someone that can't do anything for you. Romans 15 says, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So our hope that we must hold on to is full assurance that this life is not the end. Full assurance that we've been cleansed from the inside out. It's a longing for God's presence. It's a choice to live on purpose. To live on purpose. It's a hope. An assurance that we know he's coming back for his church. It's a new way of life. And my final point is a new grace in the gathering. God's doing a new thing. He is. It says, 
Don't give up on church like some are doing. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The reason for us to not give up is to receive grace from God, to give something back to God, to encourage and equip other people to work, worship, and witness till we see the day approaching. Let me make an announcement to you this morning. The day is approaching. The day is approaching. Signs are clear. Wars, pandemics, famines, rejection of God's word, rejection of God, laws that dishonor God, famines, hatred, unforgiveness, a breaking down of the nuclear family. The day is approaching when every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves his church. He protects and preserves his church. Book of Revelation and First and Second Thessalonians teach of a great tribulation that's coming to this world and to our nation for how we've dishonored God. It's a seven year period that is coming and I believe the Bible teaches that he loves his church so much, his authentic church, that we will be absent from that tribulation. You say, prove it to me. The church is absent from scripture during the tribulation. I challenge you to look beyond Revelation chapter four and find the church until the sin, the sin of the new Jerusalem. There is no church there. Next, in Revelation, the church is under the protection of God. It says in 1 Thessalonians that he did not appoint us to wrath. God doesn't beat his authentic children. We are not appointed to wrath. The church, the Bible says in Revelation, is to be gathered. The true church will still be in operation when Jesus returns for his bride. It says we will be gathered unto him. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, Now beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The word gathered comes from the Greek word espionage, which means to collect completely and bring all to one place. To collect completely and bring all to one place. People say, well, Ronnie, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Stand by. The true church is to depart before the Antichrist is revealed. And for those of you who think the president is the Antichrist, get a grip. They've said that about the last five Antichrists, or last five presidents. Excuse me. Maybe that was a Holy Ghost <laughs> prophetic word, who knows. They've said that about the last five presidents. It's not so. The man of war has not been revealed yet according to God's word. The first event that must take place before the day of the Lord comes is called the falling away. In the original translation of the Bible, that's what it meant. The King James Version fouled that up. The basis for this translation, according to Dr. James Boyce, is this. It lies in the fact that elsewhere in the Bible, a time of great apostasy or falling away from true Christian doctrine is prophesied for the time preceding the Lord's return. Although this is true in and of itself, 
It is not the meaning of the Greek word found here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. This is what it says. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. Falling away, although there's a Greek word there that can mean turning from the faith, in the original Greek language, this is what it means, apostasia. It means a departure, a departure, which means when Jesus comes back, those of us that really know him, the true church that's in operation, and man, I pray Abba's house is one of them connected to that final move. He's coming back for us, and there's a departure, a snatching away that'll take place, and in Latin, that word is translated rapture. So Pastor Ronnie, why are you even going here? Because I want you to know unequivocally that Jesus loves his church. Why go into the rapture on a day like today? Because you need to know he loves it, he protects it, he preserves it. It may not be perfect, but Jesus is coming back for it. He's coming back for it. He loves his church and he wants you to love it. The Old Testament gives us literal examples. Enoch walked with God, was gone. The days of Noah, the things that are happening on earth now relate to the days of Noah. God promises us a blessed hope, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the church will be elevated, rescued. I remember Rod Parsley said one time he wants to have hang time if he gets raptured out. I've never had hang time. I think that'd be pretty cool. I got about a three inch vertical. Church will be elevated, rescued, protected when Jesus comes back. And the Bible says in Revelation, there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggle, no more addiction, no more depression, no more infighting, no more nonsense, no more pandemic. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. I have not seen. So Pastor Ronnie, what do we do as we hold on to this hope? What do we do in this new way of worship, this new way of life? How do we have grace in the gathering? Jesus said we're to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative. It kept the meat from rotting. We've got to preserve the laws of God, the truth of God. We got to preserve the good things God has given us. But it also says we're to be light. And light is only light in darkness. We've got to shine our light in dark places. And for some of you, that may mean you need to arise and shine and get up and start serving God. For some of you, it may mean you need to break up so you can break out. You may need to break up with some things so you can break out of your comfort zone. But by all means, forsake not the assembly of ourselves. We've got to come together as one. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that blessed hope. Amen. Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. For those of you in the house today, you say, Pastor Ronnie, I feel the Holy Spirit. I'm convicted. I don't know if I'm connected to heaven. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. I want to lead you in a prayer for, 
from God's Word. It's taken from the book of Romans about how you can come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in Romans it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved. So let's take care of that right now. If you're lost watching online or in the house and you want to be connected to this kingdom, just pray this prayer with me. Abbas House, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Now I want to pray for all of you. I want to pray for this church. Some of you want to connect. You've been attending, but you haven't come in covenant with this church and become a member. You need to go online and do that. Or you need to go to the lobby at the end of the service and register as a member here like so many others have this summer. Say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm part of this family. You can do all of that. But first, we're about to baptize and celebrate some students. It's just 1148. Please don't rush out of here. Let's celebrate our students. But for those of you who say, Pastor Arnie, I want to be baptized too. I got seven cases of clean shorts and t-shirts up there. You can change. There's a women's changing area and a men's. But I don't have all day. So before we get into the rest of the flow of this, I need everybody to stand on your feet. If you pray to receive Christ, you want to be baptized right now. I'm going to give you like two minutes of them worshiping. You got to come to me and Dr. Carroll. Come here down here, Jake. You come, I'm gonna pray for you. We're gonna send you up there to get baptized. Heavenly Father, this is the word you've given us. We ask for your spirit to move on the hearts of people today. For thine is your kingdom, your power and your glory, amen. If you need ministry, if you prayed and you wanna be baptized right now and have that water, you come down.